Welcome to Black Men's Mental Health Podcast. Definitely gotta take into account your mental being. People out there is not gonna understand you unless you let them know. You gotta tune into your own mind and put it at rest. Only person is gonna help you is yourself. Society doesn't want you to blame anything else but the negative on this show. Hey, what's going on? It's your man, Cassandra Williams, and uh, welcome to the Black Men's Mental Health Podcast. Um, This podcast, out of all the podcasts I've done and worked with, is, is going to be the most true to my heart because this is really speaking my personal truth. And sometimes it's hard to speak in our society today about mental health, especially as a black man. And I was doing a lot of research online, and I really didn't see any podcast that dealt with a black man's mental health in our society. I saw a lot on on black mental health uh, in our society, and they touched upon, you know, a black man's mental health. But I didn't see anything specifically about it, and this. The last two weeks for me have been very uh, revealing when it comes to mental health. I went through a lot of 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 things that has propelled me to want to do this podcast. So let me start from the beginning because every uh, story has a beginning. You know, um, I'm I guess I'm a average black man that was raised in the '80s. You know. Um, most uh, mother had me when, six, when I was 16. Father was in the house. Grandmother was in the house and raised me. Um, I saw drugs, violence. I was raised in New York City. So, you know, um, I was raised at my grandmother's house. And uh, for a while, then we moved into the projects when I was very young, when I was about, I would say, seven, eight years old. And I moved to the projects. And, um, you know, mother, I saw a lot of men in and out my mother's mother's life my grandmother and and was alcoholic my aunts and uncles were addicted to various drugs uh and uh you know violence you know the typical every get together everything's beautiful then violence happens um you know and in the 80s that was normal in my world it was very normal but I was the great hope for the family. Nobody from my family graduated from high school or graduated from college. So, you know, what people don't understand, you know, mental health for a black man in our society is unique, is unique compared to all other gender, gen, uh, genders and races because of the views of black men from our own peers, from our own women, and other races. So our mental health isn't discussed very well. Um, but getting back to what I was saying, from an early age, there was a, a expectation of me, an expectation of me to break the family curse. And I think a lot of young black men, that was put on them as well. Not that it was put on, you know, women as well, but, you know, um, it was definitely put on me as a young black man to be the first one to break that curse in the family. Um, so all through my life, I was told that I had to break the curse while still dealing with the same issues that 
anybody at that age would deal with. You know, you know, I, I dealt with temptation from my friends out there selling drugs. I sell temptations from, you know, you know, having sex early and possibly being, a, you know, getting people pregnant. The, these are the things that young black men were 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 uh, tra- a lot of my friends were were trapped into, you know, and not trapped that they didn't do it wrong, but you know, the 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 things that were out there that you know, got a hold of them, you know, the streets got a hold of a lot of my friends. So they was out there selling drugs and and, and robbing and, and, and stealing and robbing still the same thing, you know what I'm saying? But robbing, stealing and 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 you know, having babies early and and you know, just in the system of what it is to be in a New Yorker, because I was raised in New York, the Bronx, you know, that was all there. Um and as a black man, you have to navigate through all of that, you know. Um, I wasn't a kid that was not out there in the streets, but I wasn't a kid that was, like, trying to be in the streets. You know, I was in an environment where you had to make friends, you had to survive. So, you know, I cut school. I did things as well, you know, with my friends to go down the same road. But I was fortunate enough to not get caught up in any, uh, you know, having a baby early or uh, having, you know, or being drugs and, and being that being my had to survive and stuff like that. So, you know, I was fortunate enough. I really was because my story, where I am today, like, it, you know, it could have been anybody else. I could have easily gotten a, a girl pregnant because I was out there doing my thing, you know, but I was fortunate enough to do it. But what people don't understand about black men's mental health is that, as a young boy, pressure was put on me to be different, but also pressure was put on me to be the same, you know? Um, so you have that pressure as a man because there's an expectation um, for you to be a man. Like, at the end of the day, it's like go to school. For example, I did. I was fortunate enough to graduate from high school on time, so I did. So... Um, when it came to the next level, like it was like, all right, go to school, go to school, go to high school, go to college. So, you know, I did that, apply for colleges, stuff like that. Now, all my life, my family was telling me, my grandmother in particular, you know, you need to go to, to college. College is the only way. And back then, that was the answer, you know. Um, and when I was trying to pick colleges, you know, you have to, you know, my family wasn't rich, so loans and stuff like that. You know, my family, on one end, yeah, go to college, we support you. But then when it came down to the loans and the money, they said no. You know, go out there and work. Now, mind you, I, in high school I had a few jobs, you know what I mean, here and there. You know, but I, I you know, I, I wasn't working. You know, I didn't know what it was to go into the workforce. So on one hand, we're told to be, to be the great hope, you know what I mean, the protector, the provider. The, I was told to be the hope, but then when it came for me to do what they were they were telling me to do, well, you got to work hard, go get a job. Maybe you got to delay your time going to college. I'm like, but this is what you told me to do. Well, you know, be a man, get out there, work hard. But. You told me to go to college. That was the only way. Now your expectation of me has changed because I'm a man. Go out there and work. Now, I'm not saying that it would have been different if it was a female. I don't know. You know, who knows? But as a black man, we're, we are expected for to get thrown these things, these curveballs, and we just deal with it. 
you know. Um, and all my life, that has that's been the ongoing um, theme is deal with it. You should be able to. You're a man. Um, but in the meanwhile, when we go out there and deal with it, we don't get only pressures from inside our home, from our relationships, from relationship with our family, relationship with our friends, relationship with, with loved ones. We also get from the outside world. Um, this is my first podcast on this, so if I'm a little bit around on topics, please, you know, excuse me, because there's so much to talk about when it comes to this subject that, you know, this podcast is going to be a lot of different podcasts, a lot of different topics we'll talk about. So this is just generally my story, so you understand me. Um, Every day I walk out, you know, from my first job to current job to me being an entrepreneur right now, I've always sensed that as a black man that my the way people treat me is different than everybody else. Um, I've been in a lot of situations where I've been told that I was aggressive. Um, I've been told that people didn't feel comfortable with me in the room. Um, I was told that that um, I should just, that my feelings are not valid. I should suck it up and be a man. I was, I've been told that my views on society, how they treat us, shouldn't be relevant. But, you know, if you look at society, a black man is criminal number one. Um, more than any other race and gender, we are looked at as we have the certain stereotype that people put in their heads of us, you know. As a man in a relationship, you should be the provider. But if you're not the provider, then you're not a man. Um, from other cultures, you know, either you're a basketball star or you're a P. Diddy type person, you're a rapper. Um, and when you don't play into those roles, then you're either aggressive because, hey, I don't want to be that. I want to be a boss. I want to work on a job. I'm aggressive for not being what they want me to be. So many times, I remember one incident. I was a social worker for the state, right? And um, there was a, 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 a report that was wrong. So I went to my boss and I sat down, sitting down. Uh, no, it's actually, I'm sorry. I was standing up. And I said, hey, you know, this report, you know, what was written here wasn't really accurate. So how can we correct this? Because it's really not fair onto me because this is not what happened. Said it exactly like that. She said, um, can you please sit down? I'm like, um, well, no, I was like, I'll, I'll be okay standing up. I'm fine. I thought she was just telling me to sit down if I was tired. I was like, no, I'm okay standing up. She's like, because I, I feel uncomfortable with you standing over me. I'm like, I've seen plenty of people come in your office, stand here and talk to you. Why are you uncomfortable with me? Well, I, I just am. Oh, you know, this is a white lady and, and, and you know, the stereotypical, you know, black man aggressive, you know, when we assert our our dominance, not dominance like over you, but just like, you know, I'm, I'm sure of, of my statement, that's aggressive. 
um, you know, even in relationships, you know, um, when I first wanted, when I wanted to be an entrepreneur in certain relationships and do certain things, I was told, no, you need to go work. Even with my family, go work, get a job. Don't live, those dreams are not what it is, you know. Um, when you look on the TV and all you see are black men getting killed by cops, black men getting harassed by cops, black men being the target practice for police departments, black men uh, being told by our black ladies they're, they're not strong enough, black men in dresses, because, you know, the media wants to promote black men in dresses and black men very feminine. Now, I'm not saying anything wrong with a, a, a man's choice in his sexuality. That is not what this is. So I don't want nobody to say, oh, no, no not at all. But the imagery of a black man is not of a strong black man that is about his business, take care of his family, pursuing his dreams. The imagery that people see is of us in skirts, us being gay, us being basketball players, us being murdered and harassed by cops. It's always the black man when it comes to that. So when you're a black man that doesn't fit those stereotypes, people don't know how to react to you. Our sisters, our, our, our women, our black women don't know how to communicate with black men anymore because they felt that they've had to be so dominant that now when they meet a dominant black man or alpha male, they don't know how to react. He's, he's an asshole. He's, he's, he's nar narcissistic, not, 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 you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, he's, he's selfish. He's, uh, he's, uh, He's all about himself. You know, everything's negative about being, even being masculine, you know. Um, you know, oh, you know, you're homophobic or you you don't accept others for who they are. You know, even at the workplace where you go for promotions and stuff like that, they don't want to promote you because, you know, if you stand above 5'10", you know, you could seem, seem as aggressive. Or, hey, can you can you just put your tone down a little bit? Like, what what is my tone? I talk the same way regularly, but when it's a, 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 a situation where I'm defending myself, I'm aggressive. You know, because that's the imagery when uh, when person sees a black man and they're talking, you know, a white person get up. This is bull slam the desk and nobody's fearful. A black man does the same thing and that's aggressive. You know, I, I just saw a case of a gentleman just walking home from uh, from uh, from a young man walking home in the snow. And, you know, cops come. You OK? He was like, I'm all right. I'm fine. I'm, I'm going home. But, you know, they couldn't accept that. They grab him, harass him. And and at the end of the day, that's what the that's the reality of black men. But see. Getting back to mental health, see, what we don't understand is that, like, the image of mental health is white people. When, when you know, and, and this is so true in the news, when a white person goes crazy, the media says mental health. When a black person, black man goes crazy, it's a thug, a goon, um, 
somebody that has a troubled past, you know, uh, a criminal. You know, a white man could shoot up a church and he's a person with mental health issues. I do the same thing. I'm a thug. I'm ghetto. I'm a criminal. And being that social media right now in the past 20 years has been so influential to our lives. If we're constantly being fed those those images of what a black man is, of course, somebody that's interacting with a black man is not going to think automatically, man, he has mental health issues. They're going to think, yo, he's a criminal. He's a thug. He's ghetto. How do you even get this far? You know, when we're told that we're deadbeat dads, you know, you know, of course they're going to think, oh, he's a deadbeat dad. We're his kids. Or when we're told that we're no good to our black women, that all we do is cheat and, and just want baby mamas. You know, we have no support. You know, and when you look at it, you know, I, 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 I get the empathy when it comes to our sisters. They have their own special circumstances as well. But this is not the podcast for that. You know, as a black man, we put we take a lot of beatings from society, from our own race. And we put band-aids on it. Back to my story. You know, over the years, my dream was always to be an entrepreneur. And through that, I've had my ups and downs, you know. And I was fortunate enough to meet a woman that really has supported me. But it's still a limit to that. You know, my wife comes from a culture. She's Haitian. And um, where mental health is is something that they, for, for a man, something they see as as a viable um, excuse or, or reason for not doing something. You know, they're very deep in a man to be a man. And if you have problems, pray, go to church, uh, you know, th things like that. But when it comes to mental health uh, and culturally, even the black community, mental health is not addressed. You know, um, we don't talk about depression, anxiety, schizophrenia. Um, we don't talk about that stuff. It's just this man just has problems. He's not doing his responsibilities. He need, he doesn't have God in his life. Uh, you know, uh, he wants to be selfish. He wants to be, you know, all these other things that we say, which are which all have negative tones to it. We never say, yo, this man has some mental health issues that he needs to address. Ever since the day, days of slavery, as a black man, we've been beaten mentally, physically, and we've always been strong. So the problem we have is that the imagery of what a black man should be, that we should be able to take all of this and still be strong. We should be able to take all this beating and still be men. That's within our community and from outside on some on some some instances. But that's not the case. Mental health is serious. When um, the first time I I I had mental health problems was when I was in elementary school. Um, this was at a time when my mother was um, my mother was really. Um, Man crazy. I saw a lot of violence with my family. 
And um, my school counselor at the time came to me and said, you know, and I told her a little bit about what was going on, a little bit. And she was like, okay, um, have your mother come in and we'll talk. Great. So I went to my mom. I'll never forget this. I remember it like it was yesterday. I said, Ma, my counselor wants us to come in. My mom said, why? I said, because, you know, everything's going on. We should talk about it. She was like, you know, we have problems going on. My mom was like, what? She's like, you have the problem. I don't have the problem, so you go talk to your counselor because we don't have problems. You have the problem. And ever since then, I refused to talk about my problems at home because I felt that what's the point? What's the point if at the end of the day, if I try to reach out, this is what I get, that I'm the problem? So I never did again. Dealt with everything, all the scars, the hurt, the pain, dealt with it growing up. Graduated from college, I mean, graduated from high school, went to college, and then first time I was ever diagnosed, and, and this is, I mean, I was diagnosed with depression. Um... The first time was um, after my grandmother died. My grandmother was, even though a lot of the problems, my grandmother was still a very important figure in my life. I loved her to death. She helped raise me and really helped guide me to go to college. Even though she, my grandmother had problems, don't get me wrong, but she did help me to say go to college, and I did. And um, when she died, I went to a complete depression, cried, everything, went to the doctor because I, I had to take a medical withdrawal from college because I was just so done went to um went to the doctor and they diagnosed me with depression gave me pills um back then like i said mental health for a black man wasn't something that i understood you know and i took it as i was just really depressed like i was just depressed because my grandmother died makes sense so the pills made me feel weird you know, kind of weird. So I stopped taking them. I stopped addressing it. I just dealt with it on my own. Um, I spent three semesters in a row depressed, not able to be active, not able to do anything, but like bare minimum stuff, go to a party, meet some chicks, have, you know, stuff like that. Like I just didn't care, you know. Um, but then eventually I got back on my feet, you know, started to do things. And then I went and then I graduated graduated which is great you know what I'm saying but before I graduated there was another incident that happened I I was in a relationship with a beautiful young woman for about three years and she got pregnant and um the first time uh, she got pregnant the first time we agreed to have an abortion we talked about it we weren't ready cool then afterwards she wasn't really we were still doing our thing and she said if she ever was in that situation again she wouldn't have an abortion because she, you know it wasn't right. So we still were doing what we do. You know, I wasn't using any protection, wasn't pulling out, whatever. Because, you know, even though she never said it, I give her that credit. She never said that. But from what she was doing, I thought she wanted to get pregnant again because she felt bad about the other. So um, she got pregnant again. At this time, she graduated a semester early from me. I was about to graduate. I had a job lined up. Everything was great. And um, to make a long story short, I'll go more details later, but she had a, she, uh, after I told my family, my friends, I was happy. She had an abortion behind my back. She just went up and did it. And 
one of the things that I always wanted was a family because of my family, how we weren't together, how my family was just very dysfunctional. I really wanted one. So it, so I took a job in Florida. I said, you know what? I'm done. I can't do this. So I left. Came down to Florida. Um, never dealt with any of the issues that happened to me. I just put in Band-Aids on everything, right? Met a wonderful woman who's my wife now, you know, um, and a lot of things were good for a while, you know. Um, Of course, ups and downs in life and stuff like that. So let me fast forward 17 years later. Now, you know, there are a lot of stories I could tell about mental health and what went on and stuff like that. But because this is the first podcast, I don't I don't want to put all my content <laughs> in one podcast and then the next one I have nothing to talk about. You know what I'm saying? Um, this is just an overall thing. So over the years, I've had my ups and downs. Me and my wife, we've had our ups and downs and all that stuff. But the last two years have been the most interesting years. And I'll just speak about that for the last 20 minutes of this podcast. Um, it all started with my father passing. Now, my father was never really in my life. He was always in and out my life all the time. Um, so he was never a, 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 a figure in my life that was there. I would see him one year, one time, and then it would be like five, six years before I see him again. He's always talking about I want to be a father, all, all that, you know, you know, typical. So um, my father was diagnosed with diabetes. And, um, you know, we were going at this time, we were going back and forth on Facebook. And um, he would ask me for money. You know, hey, dad, how you doing? Hey, can you get some money? Like, dude, really? Never did. Anyway, so um, he had diabetes, and he was also a drug user. He used coke, I believe, heroin. And, of course, you can't have diabetes. Heroin, that's just a bad combination. Finally, you know, doctor told me he shouldn't. He never stopped, whatever. Cool. So he's on his deathbed. So I get a call. Of course, my mom's calling me, and she said, hey, you know, um, you know, your father's dying. I was like, I don't care. You know, that, that's, not, you know, whatever. Oh, no, so what? So, went up, me and my wife went to New York. And um, so I wanted to show my wife where I went to school at. So we drove up to New York, because he was in Massachusetts. So we drove up to Albany, New York, and, you know, showed him my school. Everything was great. And then, I don't know why, but for some reason, I never Googled from my school to, to where my father was. And he's been in Massachusetts for like 20 years, 25 years. He's lived there for a minute. So when I was in college, he was there. So I'm thinking like Boston, some like somewhere out there, because that, that, that's about two, three hours away from me. It's far. So, you know, whatever. So finally when we're in Albany, I Google where he's at. Literally about his place where he was is about 20 to 30 minutes away from where I'm at. And I don't know if anybody understands, as a man, you need a male role figure. The male role figure in my life was the streets, was my friends, TV, you know. And when I was in college, I went through a lot of things. Like I said, stories I'll get into, you know, in other podcasts. But, you know, and I really could have used my father. But I really ruled him out because I figured he was really far. I never really knew where he lived. But then when I found out he was 20 minutes away from me, I was in college. I was in Albany for six years, and my father was 20 minutes away from me and couldn't see me. I had a car, too. He had a car. That messed with my psyche. 
You know, that put me in a a, 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 a thing like I'm not important enough, your son. Then when I then fine, I went. Then to find out he raised two other two other girls. He raised them. He was there for them. You know, that really hurt like deep. And that messes with your 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 mental. It makes you feel you're not worthy. You fight so hard for acceptance in our society. And the man that birthed you, the man that you're from, couldn't take 20 minutes to come see you. Because he knew I was in college in Albany. He knew that. Him and my mom's talk, but he didn't talk to me. So being a black man that was raised without a father, that's a whole nother thing mental health on, on, on us by itself without a father. Not understanding what it is to be a man, having that father figure to teach you what it is to be a man. You know, I had to figure out certain things. My son comes to me now and asks me questions that, like, I was not able to ask my father, and I needed to. So that was a mental. So I went. Then um, about a year later, a good friend of mine that started off as a business relationship, but he became one of my best friends. He passed away, a heart failure. And he passed away because he wasn't taking his medication. And um, I felt so bad and guilty because I felt that I could have saved him. You know, and even with my father, I felt like, man, if I would have known. So I started to get into this. I can save everything and fix everything mode. Um, started to get anxiety, started to really get depressed, but I was throwing band-aids on everything. See, the problem also, too, with me is that I got my degree in psychology. So for me, I felt I could think logically my way out of all these feelings, where all I was doing was putting band-aids on things. So he passed away. Um, relationships that I had with business and personally fell apart and I kept trying to save them um recently there was there was a female that I became emotionally connected with that I was trying to save which caused problems in my marriage and my wife thought was cheating which I wasn't but I was like I could save I could save this person and it just kept going and going and going and then when you meet people in your life that are not good for your life that really want to drain your life too I let I allowed those type of people in my life as well. So it was just so much. Then then I quit my job to do my business full time. You know, and even though money's not bad or nothing, still as a man, you you know, you wanna, you know, you wanna be that sole provider. Like, you know, I'm making you know, you know, but I, you know, I gotta work real hard now with everything coming towards me and I couldn't put band-aids or anything anymore. So I totally flipped out. I flipped out. I went crazy. Something, there was an incident with my wife that happened. She got fed up. I got fed up, and I just went ballistic in front of our kids. I broke things. I said things I shouldn't have said. I just couldn't take it, and I just broke down crying. I I I I I grabbed my wife, you know, wrongly. Um, I threw things. I broke. I broke. P 
pictures. I broke back. I, I just went crazy in front of my, my kids. Said, I'm going to kill everybody. I'm done. I just broke down. I couldn't take it anymore. You know, I couldn't take the hurt and the pain and always putting band-aids. And I broke down. Like, I really broke down. And um, after I broke down, I just fell on the floor crying, just crying like a baby. My son came. My son held me. You know, I felt like a loser. I felt like I couldn't do anything right. I felt like I couldn't save nobody. I felt like my marriage was over. I felt like my friendship was over. My, my business was over. I felt like everything was over because I couldn't save anything. Well, that's how I felt at the time. I couldn't fix things. I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't be the man that everybody wanted me to be. And I just broke down crying, crying like like a baby. Like I haven't cried like that since I was born. Like I just was crying. Now don't get don't get me wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong for that reaction. Cause at the end of the day, you know, it's not right. But I just broke down. Just my mental wasn't there. Hopped in my car. You know, my wife jumped in front of it. I was etching. My kids were like, oh, don't hit mommy. I was like, don't hit mommy. But, you know, you you got that that anger. You know what I'm saying? And it was just, you know, I just broke down crying. Just a cry I've never cried before. My son held me. He said, Dad. I was like, I'm sorry, son. I'm a loser. I felt you. I felt everybody. He's like, Dad, you're not a failure. Now, my son's 13. He's like, Dad, you're not a failure. Dad. I love you. I'm I'm who I am today because of you, Dad. He just held me and gave me words of encouragement. My wife was mad, walking around, pissed off. And I'm not saying she wasn't rightfully so, so don't get me wrong. But because we others get so mad at us, they don't uh, they don't see our pain. Because when we do something wrong as a black man, that's all they see is you did wrong. They don't say, well, damn, what is what is this guy going through? For him to do all of this, this is not like him. But see, it's the expectation. Oh, you ain't shit. See, you out here trying to do this and do that. You want this girl. You want this business or whatever, whatever. See, I'm done with you. Now, I'm not saying that she wasn't right for feeling that way. Not at all. Because I did go crazy. I broke a whole bunch of shit. I, I was going crazy. But my son understood. He didn't see... I mean, he saw everything I did, but he saw the pain I was in, what I was going through mentally, and he held me. And sometimes we need that. We need to be held. We need, and and, and it's not manly because a woman's going to think, well, I need to hold this. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm going to hold you. Like, dude, you know what I'm saying? You hold me. I'm the woman. I'm the, you know what I'm saying? Well, I'm going to hold you. You're a man. Be a man. Step up. Get over it. But I, it was, it was, it was so much on me. Now, I, I say in later podcasts, I'll get into details of everything, but, you know, just overall. But, you know, it was just, he held me. He, you know, it got me to a place. And that's all it took. He just held me, my own son. He saw the pain I was in. He saw the anguish I was in. He saw that something in my mental wasn't right. He held me. So at that point, I knew 
there was something wrong with me. Even though I was saying it before, but you know, and that's another story. But so I I I put myself into a facility. Uh, one of those behavioral centers. And I put myself in there because I knew I needed help that I couldn't get in my current environment. You know, and when you go to one of those places, and I did it voluntarily. They didn't have to baker act me or anything like that. Cops didn't have to, you know, come and stop. No, I went there voluntarily because I knew there was something wrong with me that I couldn't hold on to. I couldn't control anymore. And it was getting bad. I can't be around my kids and my wife and, and be like this. So I had to go somewhere. So I went there. And um, when I was in there, I talked to psychologists, counselors, did group therapy. And it helped me so much. I was in there with a, a lot of young people, too. Like, it wasn't, there was older people. Like, there was nobody around my age. It was, like, young people in college, and then there was older people. I was, like, the middle and the stories and the and I'll get like I said later on the podcast I'll get onto those individual stories because they all have individual unique stories that were just like wow and um I was diagnosed with depression anxiety and sleep deprivation because also with all this I wasn't sleeping well I was sleeping like maybe 2 hours a night if that um for a long time for about a year and, um, and you know, the doctor says it's the worst combination. Have depression, anxiety, and sleep deprivation because your mind can't get right. And, you know, and it was interesting talking because as soon as I got there, I was talking to the, I guess you call it the intake therapist that just talks to you before you go in there. And I was telling her, like, you know, like, I'm, I must be crazy how I see things. I don't feel like I'm getting support. And she said, you're right. I was like, what? I was shocked, completely shocked. She was like, you're right, you know, and she explained to me why I was right. And I was like, oh. I was really expecting her to, to call me selfish or to call to say, oh, it's not that way, and, and oh, you're seeing it differently. But no, she said, you are right. The way you see it is right. You're there for everybody else, but who's there for you? And it's easy for that to happen. She's like, so you're right, Mr. Williams. I was like, are you just saying that to me just because it's your job? She's like, no. She's like, I would tell you if, you know, if your thinking was flawed. Like, That's my job, to try to make you see things for what it is. And she's like, you absolutely are right. You know, you're the type of person. I thought to her my whole life. She's like, you know, you want to help and fix everything. And it's like. When you're, you know, everybody around you could be weak and you're there for them. But when you're weak, who's there for you? And just like we, we talked about 45 minutes, 45 minutes. I felt more validated about my feelings than I did in the last few years. You know, and it wasn't a, a sympathy thing. She wasn't trying to calm me down or trying to, you know, it was just real talk. And she validated how I felt the first time that that, has, that happened in years. Because I thought I was crazy, my feelings and how I was seeing things. And meanwhile, I'm getting arguments. I'm getting, I, mean, I thought I was just crazy. 
I thought it was me that was the problem. But it wasn't. You know, it wasn't that they were the problem either. You know? So when I went in there, talked to the you know, talked to the psychologist, and um, you know, he said, you know, from talking to you, he's like, you know, they did the blood test, all that. He's like, you suffer from depression, anxiety, and 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 sleep deprivation. So he gave me this pill. He said, this pill is it's a little small pill, little eatsy beatsies. Like I'm, I mean, it's like it's like a little baby Tylenol pill. He's like, this is gonna help you with your sleep, your anxiety, and your depression. So. I took the pill, went to sleep. And now, these little these rooms they have for you are not freaking Hilton Hotel type rooms, okay? These these mattresses are worse than college mattresses. Uh the the blankets are like like freaking they they they're so thin they might as well just not be blankets, you you know what I'm saying? Um there was this loud ass AC vent that was right in the middle of the room. But I had the best sleep that I had in years. Years, I slept so good. And doing the group therapy, um, talking to to the counselor, just help. It it was like, and this is gonna sound crazy. It was like a spa day for me. Like, of course, they tell you when to eat, they tell you when to watch TV, and it was just a. It was like a vacation for me. There was no pressures. I slept. My mind was clear. I could think. It was immaculate. You know, my group therapy started going from me listening to me helping out these young people like, hey, man, you know, don't be where I am. You got to address your mental health issues early because with me, I have family, business, everybody relying on me. So if the head falls off, the body falls. So don't be in that position. It's great you're here handling your business now. Don't be ashamed of it. And it was a beautiful thing absolutely beautiful i slept better than i ever slept before my mind was clear only thing i had to address was when i got out was my family my wife my business because now there's repairing that needs to be done see and the problem is that now i had to help repair relationships and help them out before they help me out and that's another topic as well that I think that we don't address in mental health, for, especially for black men. But, you know, that's my truth. Um, so I'm going to do this podcast once a week or maybe a few days or whatever, because I really think it's important there be a podcast about black men and our mental health. I'm going to have different guests on the show um, talking about different black men to talk about their mental health and their stories because there's a lot of stories out there of our mental health. And it, and mental health doesn't only include just like a diagnosis of like, oh, you have depression, you're scared. No, no, there's also our mental as far as like us being clear to be the, the leaders in our family, to be the businessmen, to be just the good men in society and to be against stereotypes and also how to handle <clears throat> stereotypes that we come across in our lives as well to overcome what media shows that we are. We're not 
victims of, of, of crime all the time. We're not, uh, you know, closet homosexuals. We're not gay men. I mean, you know, and like I said, nothing wrong with anybody being gay in their sexuality. I don't care. You can wear a skirt, call yourself Sally. I don't care what you do. That's your life. But that is not, that shouldn't be the imagery, the only imagery of black men when it comes to media. And unfortunately, that's is. And then as a man, as a black man, I have to overcome that. And that's also a mental stress right there. So people don't understand how important your mental health is. I've been so productive now mentally because that break I took. So I'm gonna um, this podcast is gonna be like I said I'm gonna have a whole bunch of different black men come always talk about their mental health, talk about their stories, talk about what they see in the media, what they see in life, how they deal with it, how they cope with it, and just be that safe haven for men to really listen. And also for women to understand our perspective as well in other cultures. I want them to listen and understand our, as a black man our perspective and, and the life we live. You know, when you have a target on your back, it is hard to move from it. That's what this podcast is about. And it's funny, when I was inside, when I was at the Behavioral Center, I said to myself, I want to start a podcast. I want to use my platform. So you could check this po- exclusively on the Culture Radio uh, app. You could download on Google or Apple. Um, you could also check check us out on Google, on uh, thecultureplay.com slash black man's mental health. And soon, website will be up blackmansmentalhealth.com because I really want to take this to the next level. I want this to be something that all people come listen to and hear our perspective because there's nothing out there like that. And I want to be the first to do it and to help bridge understanding between the black culture, men and women, black men and women, and also other cultures that see us a certain way to listen to this. So I appreciate you listening to me. And uh, stay tuned in about a week for my next one. And uh, like I said, go to thecultureradio.com and you can check out the times that this will be up. And you go to thecultureplay.com slash black man's mental health. I appreciate you. And soon, blackmansmentalhealth.com. Y'all have a great day.